welcome everybody to the first episode of shockingly wicked i'm Brittany, and i'm brianna we are your hosts for the evening and i am very excited to finally start talking about this nut job yeah he he is on my nerves i'm not even gonna lie i mean it's that's valid it's a valid it's a valid criticism and we have a lot of criticism about this guy because he did a lot of a lot of stuff for no reason he was just stupidly complicated he was very extra so one thing that you will notice as we go through this series is that we take great joy in insulting serial killers and we know that this subject is very very serious um we're not trying to say that murder's not serious We don't condone murder. We don't condone simping for serial killers and murderers and things like that. That's not the the faction of true crime that we are a part of. We are here to simply just tell you about the true crime cases and the stories and kind of discuss what we think and insult the serial killers. (laughs) Yes, insult serial killers. That's like the number one. That's the main reason we started this podcast. but also, we just have a lot of knowledge that we want to share with the world. And uh, so that's that's kind of where this, this birthed out of. So we want to bring a little levity to the subject. So we will be making some jokes here and there, but we'll try to, like, it's not to be disrespectful of the victims of these crimes or anything like that. Yeah, um, and it's not to take away from the tragedy. It's just how we deal with trauma, unfortunately. Yeah. And we're both very depressed people, so we don't want to be even more depressed than we already are. So just go ahead and uh, jump right into this, shall we? So first of all, H.H. Holmes was not his actual name. Brittany? On May 16th in 1861, Herman Webster Mud- Mudgett was, the, was born, and he was the third out of four children born to Theodate. Paige Price and Levi Horton Mudgett. So he had a sister. She was the only girl. Um, her name was Ellen. And then he had two brothers, Arthur and Henry. He's a middle child like me. Um, I'm the oldest, so. <laughs> <I'm not really laughs> Can't relate. <laughs> um, anyway, continue. So his childhood is a little confusing. I did read in some places that his parents were super religious. Uh, his father was an alcoholic super strict, constantly preached Bible verses to him. Um, The kids were neglected and forced into isolation if they misbehaved. But I also read he was born into a rich family and he had a very privileged and normal childhood with two loving parents. So both of those, both of that information is very conflicting and I was not able to verify. So we're going to move on. Yeah, and that's that's something that we found a lot through this case was that there's a lot of conflicting information. Um, and part of that is just because he's so... he's a pathological liar. He lied about almost everything. <laughs> yeah, and it was also in the 1800s, and I don't think they kept up with... Yeah, like, there, there are records, but they're obviously not as accurate as we have today, like, with our computer systems and all that kind of stuff. So some of the stuff that we found, like, I know I definitely... I. I went through some newspapers and stuff um, that was in the Library of Congress to kind of validate some of the stuff. But it's (laughs) the problem is is that even journalistic stuff back then wasn't necessarily like accurate. Like there's a lot of sensationalism. So their handwriting is hard to read. Okay. Yes. Like I just can't read cursive from back then. (laughs) I can barely read cursive now. So I don't know what else you people want from me. That's accurate. Um, But from the stuff that I was looking into as well, I did. I kind of leaned more in the direction of an abusive household. That kind of the origin story of a lot of like 
really messed up people who end yeah, up going I into say like everybody who has a traumatic childhood becomes a serial killer because yeah. I had a traumatic childhood myself uh and I don't murder people yeah so, so it's but not an excuse I can see how it can be yeah it's a contributing factor but it doesn't excuse it um yep. as Jake Peralta says in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, cool motive, still murder, so. <laughs> I love Jake, guys. He's so funny. Andy Fearless. Samberg is just top tier, guys. <laughs> Agreed. Um, so he was super intelligent, like wildly intelligent, uh, but unfortunately, he also came off as a bit odd. People described him as weird, and so because of that, he was constantly bullied at school. I, I did read that there was a police officer that knew him as a kid, uh, he stated that he was apparently he appeared to be unusually smart i don't know how you're unusually smart but here we are i guess it just kind of depends on what you're comparing it to because like if he was the son of a farmer which is something i was kind of seeing as i was doing research then it's probably just the assumption like oh it's it's like a classist assumption like oh you're a farmer's kid you don't know anything you're stupid you know yeah you're you're from the farm you don't have an education from podunk country the country (laughs) so herman had which is this is kind of a weird fear i don't understand it but if this is your fear i'm not like saying you're weird but to me it's weird um but he had like a weird fear of like doctor's offices and skeletons which is ironic you'll find out later on um but one day he was walking home from school and two bullies followed him and forced him into the town's doctor's office and they made him touch the medical skeleton that was displayed there which unfortunately for the bullies uh kind of backfired on them because this is actually what sparked his interest in the medical field and with skeletons and death so yeah, I don't think they did what they intended to do. <laughs> yeah, this is his uh, supervillain origin story. Um, not to say that the bullies are to blame for him turning into a murderer, but they certainly did not help. <laughs> um, there's a there's a quote in the book um, from his autobiography, which I have not read, but uh, they quoted it a lot, which it said, uh, it was a wicked and dangerous thing to do to a child of tender years and health, but in their work uh, method of treatment, uh, it destined ultimately to cure him of his fears and to inculcate in him a first uh a strong feeling of curiosity and then later a desire to learn, which is altered years afterwards into adopting medicine as a profession. So like you said, it had the opposite effect and he gained more of an interest in the medical arts and death and which, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and we kind of see that when he begins to like experiment with dissection and going into the woods, find his home. Um he would go after school, catch like lizard. Well, it started off with like frogs and lizards, small reptiles that he would practice dissecting um, and eventually moved his way to squirrels and small animals or yeah. small mammals, not animals, because frogs are animals. I mean, they're kind of they're kind of animals, but they're, um... they're ambidextrous. <laughs> That means you write with your right and your left hand. You mean amphibians, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Um, Okay. That's okay. 
Yeah, that's kind of like textbook for a lot of like sociopathic people who uh, end up either becoming serial killers or like serial rapists and things like that is that they start out by harming this very easy prey like animals, small animals, and then they gradually kind of increase until they eventually get to humans. But I think, okay, so when he was 11, him and his childhood best friend, Tom, they went into the woods uh, and began like exploring an abandoned house um, and climbed up onto the roof where Tom eventually fell to his death. I think that was actually um, Herman's first murder. This actually hasn't been proven, um, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people do think that he was responsible for Tom's death. Uh, which is kind of sad at age 11 you're murdering people or I don't know it might have been an accident Tom really probably could have fallen because I'm sure like the roof was not in well kept you know yeah but like what are the odds we're just (laughs) gonna say that he is responsible for Tom's death but that has not been proven so don't yes yeah um so ultimately at the end of his long well it wasn't even long it was like five years of uh official murder spree that dude didn't even make it to 40 it's estimated that he killed anywhere between 20 and 200 people however i was reading uh earlier that the uh hundreds of people estimate was one of those like sensationalist headline type things uh, from a i know he did admit to like 27 yeah um i think it was uh there's a journalist yeah herbert asbury asbury i don't know how you say that um asbury asbury. Uh (laughs) sorry if that's your last name (laughs) So, but he perpetuated a lot of like the the rumors and falsehoods that you find about, uh, especially the cases, but also like the victims and all this kind of stuff. That yes, TMZ back before TMZ. <laughs> yes, and so like there there are some who are like basically like confirmed victims there are some who might possibly be victims and then there are people who are debunked victims and like apparently a lot of the debunked victims were part of that whole like list. Yes. So after, you know, murdering little innocent baby animals, I don't know if he did babies, but I'm sure I wouldn't put it past him. I, um, I would Herman graduated high school at the age of 16, mm-hmm. which was in 1877. Yes. So, um, and in this book that I'm reading, uh, which is the name? Yes, the name is uh, The Devil in the White City. They mentioned that his, like, the first job he took after being 16 was as a teacher um, in Gilmanton and then in Alton, New Hampshire. And that's where he met his wife, Clara. Miss Clara. Um, tragic Miss Clara. Yes, Clara Lovering. Let me pull up my notes here. Um, that was his first and only legitimate wife. And I have to emphasize that because that's going to come into play later. Um, so when he was courting her, um, like most men, he was very interested in sex. And uh, while that's not necessarily something they didn't do it back in the day, they just weren't as open about it as we are in this day and age. It's not, it wasn't necessarily as accepted. Remember people, women didn't have rights back then, okay? We just recently got rights, guys. Also that, basically, like, she was kind of not really used to the fact that he was very, like, forward with wanting to have sex with her and, you know, and even just, like, affectionate in public. Um, but she kind of grew to like it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, he was like the bad boy of their time. Charming. It's true. 
overly sexual. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so um, about two years later, when he was 18, he asked her to elope and she agreed. And they got married on July 4th of 1878. And two years after they got married, they had their little baby son, Robert. Yes. Robert was not his only child, but he was the first. He is the only child he had with Clara though. Yes. So that that's, he was the only child that he had with his actual wife. And then he ended up having a daughter named Lucy with another woman later on down the line who he had also married, but technically since he was already married, wasn't technically his wife, I guess, legally. Yeah, he didn't follow a lot of laws. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's true. He he, he was just like, fuck the law. <laughs> I am the law. <laughs> yeah, he might have had other children. I don't actually know. Um, like there was nobody specified other than them. I do know that they, I guess it was kind of theorized that um, he, like with these women that he would end up murdering like he would kind of woo them seduce them into sleeping with him and they would get pregnant and then he'd kill them off uh in essence he was just the head of the garbage man association not the garbage man association yeah he just wasn't a good husband yes. he just wasn't yeah. really a good person all in all uh so he eventually decided he wanted to go to college um so the first school that he went to, he decided to study medicine at the University of Vermont. But after deciding uh, that their curriculum did not challenge him enough, he decided to change schools and enrolled at the University of Michigan. Yes. And that school in particular, um, they had an emphasis on dissection, which was a very like controversial thing back in the day. Um, I imagine like having to learn to dissect is important if you want to operate on the human body you know but uh i guess doing it like on actual humans was kind of taboo at the time because it's not like they had like plastic dummies kind of like what we have now or where we would dissect like animals and stuff like that like they like they show in all the high school shows and stuff um i dissected a cow eyeball but i never actually dissected a frog uh i don't really know how to feel about that because on one hand i was told that you know that's what you're supposed to do but instead i got a eyeball from a cow. I mean, so. it's probably better than if it was a frog. I don't know. I that would have been sad if it was a frog. Yeah, I, I never actually dissected anything in school that I can recall, but I also did not take very advanced uh, science classes. So um, Clara actually joined him, I think for about a year is what I read in Michigan. Yeah. Um, but then she ended up moving back home after that. And my the book mentions that like their relationship kind of like chilled very very rapidly like that passion and that heat was kind of gone um pretty quickly and he would kind of be gone for days at a time and all that kind of stuff and then he just kind of left <laughs> so they were still legally married but, but he just was not present unfortunately so while Herman was at was attending the University of Michigan. He actually got caught up in a in an insurance scam, uh, <laughs> one that involved him stealing medical cadavers. And if you don't know what a medical cadaver is, it's essentially a donated body um, mm -hmm. to science. But he would steal these medical cadavers and experiment on them. While he was doing his experiments, he would take a life or a, yeah, an, a life insurance policy out. Uh, once he finished doing whatever experiment he wanted to do, he would plant the dead body in a place that made it look like they had died there in an accident, report the death, and then 
collect the insurance money or life insurance money from them, uh, which is a very elaborate scam. Yeah. Especially for that time period. So I don't know. I guess that does show how smart he is. Yeah, and that's that's a scam that he actually was like he participated in that kind of particular scam multiple times. Like that was part of his MO in a sense. Um but it's also I think part of his downfall. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it one of his accomplices, he actually did a scam similar to that with him. And that ended up being what led to him getting caught but we will get to that later yeah um yeah so stay tuned guys um another thing he did while he was in college i think it said his junior year he uh what he mentioned in his memoir it's like okay you need to like keep in mind he's a pathological liar so it's like it might not be entirely accurate but he called it the first really dishonest act of his life um and he had taken a job as a traveler for a book publisher so he was selling a book throughout illinois um and instead of turning in the proceeds that he got from these book sales he kept them oh. and then he returned to michigan <laughs> um where and another scam he did was he would grave rob uh so he would dig up graves and steal the bodies and then sell them as cadaver cadavers to medical school so yeah because back back then it i guess because medicine was such a rapidly growing field um they had a hard time keeping up with like cadaver uh, cadavers (laughs) in the schools and things like that and so it became a big business to rob graves because these 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 bodies would get a lot of money like you could make bank on yeah you can make bank on that kind of thing fucks us what rather oh my god life still fucks us regardless (laughs) if we're dead or alive people (laughs) yeah i just want to point out that i do have adhd and sometimes my mind goes way faster than my brain um even than my mouth so (laughs) it's okay um so he graduated uh from college i think we're at that point correct yeah so he graduated in 1884 Yes. Um, my book actually said it was with a lackluster record. <laughs> so, oh, um, nice. <laughs> yeah. So like he might've just been too involved in his scams or he might've just been one of those people who thought he could kind of get away on doing like absolutely nothing. Yeah. Which, which kind of shows cause he didn't get like a steady job right out of school. He, I think for like two years after he graduated college, he was doing like various odd jobs and some Mm -hmm. other small scams yeah so he had a really hard time keeping jobs but i don't know if that's just because like he had very high standards for what he wanted to do or if he just well i mean some of it i think is because he murdered people and then he ran away but (laughs) um that's true so he went to morris forks new york um where he actually became the principal of a school um which is kind of wild to me if you if you ask me so he became a school principal um and that was until he was able to open a medical practice is what he was saying so he stayed there for about a year um he said doing good and conscientious work for which i received plenty of gratitude but little or no money so not much has changed for modern teachers <laughs> but while he was in morse forks there was rumors of a disappearance of a boy that had been seen in his company um and so the boy like he claims that this boy just returned home to massachusetts and so no investigation actually took place but he 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 booked it 
<laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he murdered that little boy, unfortunately. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all. Um, when he left Morse Forks, he actually like left in the middle of the night, like without paying his lodging bill to the guy that he was renting from. So yeah, he didn't pay his bills. Yeah. He just had all this debt, didn't pay his bills, <laughs> murdering people. I wish, wow. wish that were his me. society let him be here. <laughs> All right, so it was actually Philadelphia was where he went, um, and that was where he kind of hoped to find a job in a drugstore, um, but he didn't find anything suitable. And so <laughs> what it says here is that he got a job as a keeper in an asylum. Oh. Uh, it was it was Norristown Asylum, and he said, this was my first experience with insane persons, and so terrible was it that for years afterwards, even now sometimes, I see their faces in my sleep, and within days he quit. It's like buddy it takes one to know one uh, sir you actually belong there so yeah so while he was in philadelphia he ended up finding a job in a drugstore um but it was soon after he got that job that there was a child who took medicine that he allegedly sold him and then died mm. um and so he claims he did nothing wrong and yet he still immediately ran <laughs> you know so it's yeah, like he was yeah, not he, gonna stick around for that. Yeah, he was like, yeet. That was when he hopped a train to Chicago. And that's when he changed his name. And left his wife and son. Just abandoned them. But he changed his name to what he is known more so as H.H. Holmes. Henry Howard Holmes. Yes. Um, and the reason he picked Holmes particularly is because it's it was one of the most prominent family names at the time um so he wanted to sound like he came from money and, and all that in reality i'm sure he actually did have a lot of money but he just i don't know what he spent it on because he didn't pay bills so yeah well and that's the thing too is that like there are multiple people um uh the guy he was lodging with one it was one of them in particular who mentioned that he he saw him having like a lot of money so it's like what what was he spending it on or was he just like hoarding it like a dragon you know I really do feel feel as though he was probably hoarding it because he just seems like the type of person to want to rack up all this money and then not spend it on anything yeah I don't understand those people I like I get saving but when you don't spend it on anything I don't understand. Yeah. And then especially because it's like if you're not spending it on anything and then you're continuously like not paying your bills. Yeah, you're not paying your bills. You're not paying people for doing work for you. It's like eventually that's going to catch up to you. <laughs> yeah. So now that he is in Chicago, he found a job, I think, at a pharmacy drugstore um, owned by, it was the Holtons, correct? Yes. Um, I think it's Houston and or Dr. Houston and his wife, Elizabeth Holton. Uh, fun fact, the drugstore that Holmes got a job at was actually named E.S. Holton's Pharmacy uh, that Houston named after his wife, Elizabeth, which I think is so cute. And there's actually one thing I saw that said that Elizabeth was actually the doctor, which I think would be interesting. I I, I I don't know if that's actually accurate or not, but that that was just one thing that I saw. I was like say, on, I, I don't know because I know back then it was not very common for women to go to school, especially for like yeah that. 
and then also to be a business owner and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so he started working at this pharmacy um, and then Mr. Holton, um, he was sick. Um, and so Holmes kind of like smooth talked his way into um I guess either renting or buying the pharmacy. I think he rented it because I think it comes out um like it eventually came that came out that he wasn't paying the monthly rent mm-hmm. rate that he was supposed to to Elizabeth. Um shocking. But know, <laughs> yeah. Uh but I know the doctor um Holton did eventually pass away and mm-hmm. the pharmacy was left to Elizabeth. Holmes eventually convinced poor widowed Elizabeth to sign over the pharmacy and property over to him. And then as soon as she did that, not as soon, like it was probably a little bit after, but suddenly she just disappeared. Uh he had told people she left and went to California, but that was never proven. And people do suspect, like Tom, his best friend, if you guys remember, um, he killed her after she signed the pharmacy over to him, which would not shock me at all. Yeah. And that one, I think there is some like conflicting information because like you found that and then I found some people um, had done some research saying that the Holtons had lived into like the 20th century. Um, I think they specifically said Mr. Holton was it, died in 1910 and then Elizabeth in 1933. So who actually knows if they survived or not? Um, I would like to think they did just because I want them to have lived a ha- long and happy life together. Unless they were awful people, which I doubt, but if they were awful people whatever but i yeah. would like to think that they're nice and they loved each other and i don't i don't think they had any kids um yeah I, none that were mentioned at least yeah so that's really sad like you make it to where you're old mm-hmm. and then holmes kills you that's so sad Okay, so now that he owns this drugstore, um, he kind of ran some scams out of it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, shocking. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of who he is. He's a con man. He's going to do whatever mm-hmm. it takes to make a quick buck. Um, and then uh, it, this was around the same time historically as the World's Fair. They, were, uh, they had decided to host it in Chicago um, because they wanted to... Well, I guess it was between Chicago, New York, and D.C., and Chicago ended up winning. Chicago was going to be hosting the World's Fair. They needed it to be bigger and better than the one that had been hosted in Paris. Um, kind of like the Olympics. Yeah, it's like it, it's hosted, obviously, around the world in different places. Um, and it had been hosted in Paris, and that's when they revealed the Eiffel Tower. And so everybody was super impressed with it. And now America is just like, oh, my God, it's a, it's a matter of pride, essentially, where they're just like, oh, my God, we need to beat the French, you know? <laughs> But instead of the Eiffel Tower, we got a um, serial killer. So I don't know. Take that how you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically, a lot of people were flocking to Chicago at this time to kind of help with the building and putting together of the World's Fair because it wasn't like your typical like like county fair type of thing. It was like it took up like a whole big chunk of the city. Um, I think it was. And it lasted for a year. Yeah, I think it was like Jackson Park um, around there, and so like they built buildings and things like that to help like house i guess exhibits and so there are a lot of people who are flocking here and so he decided he wanted to start a bigger business and to i guess kind of like apartments and a hotel or something along those lines um and there was a plot of land i think it was it was like a full block 
that was across the street from where the pharmacy was. And so he, I think what I read was that he sold the pharmacy to somebody else. I was like, oh, don't worry. There's not going to be any kind of competition. And then he builds his building across the street and then he opens a freaking pharmacy. <laughs> yeah, and, and this building was huge. I, uh, the locals around that area dubbed it like the castle mm -hmm. because it was very big <laughs> yeah it like it uh, i think it, all the reports i saw was that it like it took up basically that entire block yeah. to be it that's that's essentially just like i don't i don't i can't even think like that's just a lot of space <laughs> for, for a hotel it's i mean it's not the typical hotel you see nowadays mm -hmm. no a Hampton or a Hilton. <laughs> yes. Maybe it's um, the Ritz Carlton. I don't know. Has anybody ever been <laughs> to the Ritz Carlton? I wish I um, could go. I don't can't say I have. But if you have, leave, leave us, tell us, tell us about it. I want to know how yes. your experience was. <laughs> Please and thanks. It took a little while for them to build this building, um, but once it was completed, I believe it was like three stories and they were working on a fourth one, if I remember right. Um, but the third, the second story was kind of like where they had the uh, apartment building or the apartment rooms, which um, it said it had six corridors, 35 rooms and 51 doors. The discrepancy is important here. Um, and then the third one had another three dozen rooms. And then uh, that first level was a couple of stores, pharmacy, uh, jewelry counter, and a couple of other things like that. Yeah, and what um, what he didn't tell guests was a lot of the rooms were soundproof and all of the rooms did contain gas lines, um, which we'll get into later, but basically he would just release gas onto unsuspecting guests and unfortunately kill them. Um, and not like and not like the farting kind of gas, like the deadly kind, just... Yeah, um, <laughs> and throughout the hotel, there was numerous trap doors, uh, peepholes that you know were hidden guests didn't know that they were there stairways that led to dead ends and chutes that led directly into the basement um so holmes didn't want people to know he was essentially building a murder castle um so he would hire and fire construction crews very very often um like they would start they would i think they would be there for about a week before he decided to switch um but he also still had that problem of not paying his bills like he did before he moved to chicago like he did with the um es holt Holton Pharmacy. He would put all of, his, all of this important documentation, like uh, rental fees for like furniture and things like that. He'd put it under aliases. Um, and so like, for example, the land deed for that block where he was building the castle, um, he put it under... Um, I'm trying to remember i think it was like hs campbell or something along those lines also, and so and i did read he would also use his mother-in-law um his uh in-laws names to put mm -hmm. things under so not, that wouldn't be surprising yeah so not only is he putting things under aliases he's also using poor clara's mother and father's name uh and so when these you know the construction crews want to get paid they want their money for building this extravagant hotel um so they would ask hey holmes where is our money holmes would say i'm not responsible or liable for your payments which i guess mm -hmm. legally holmes was not but somebody was yes 
Yes. And that was that was part of the premeditation behind what he was doing. He had designed this building purposefully for like for murdering. And so he made sure that there was no way that it could get traced back to him necessarily because like the land deed was under somebody else's name. So he knew what he was doing. <laughs> he was very calculated in that yeah, way. Which goes back to that oddly smart. Yes. <laughs> On top of the three stories, uh, the main three, there was a basement that was essentially designed to be Holmes's lab. Um, there was a dissecting table, stretching rack, uh, and a crematory, which is wild to me. Um, but he would send dead bodies down the chute to the basement, dissect them, strip them of flesh, and sell the, sell the skeletons as models to medical schools. And whatever he didn't, like, I guess if they weren't your typical looking skeleton, um, he would cremate them or place them into bodies uh, or pits of acid, which is disgusting. So. Yeah, I guess I guess that was his way of just getting rid of evidence to Didn't make sure. Did he hire that... people to like strip strip them of flesh? Yeah, so um, that was called articulating at the time, and um, I think the guy's name was Charles Chapel, is what I read, um, and he would pay him like thirty six dollars to like to get rid of all of the the flesh and muscle and all that kind of stuff, attach the bones and just basically clean it up so that he could sell it um, to these medical schools and and things like that for significantly more than what he paid this guy to (laughs) do that work. Yeah. And I mean, I guess people, I know I saw this comment a lot was how did he get away with murdering all these people? But you got to think, so it's a world fair. There are people coming in from all not just all over the country but all over the you know (laughs) globally um so it's essentially the perfect concoction for a serial killer which i hate to say that but i mean nobody's gonna know if you're you know nobody's gonna know who you are if you're coming from let's say paris they're not gonna know that you're not gonna be there within two weeks from now so yeah Unfortunately, it's, the World Fair was perfect hunting grounds. Yeah, because especially back then, like it was made like the primary method of communication was writing letters. So, like if you could easily forge something like that, if you were the type to forge that, um, but I wouldn't put it past him. He he did actually forge some uh, letters t- for one of the people that he ended up murdering um and i will discuss that once we get there yeah, so let's um, just add forgery to his long <laughs> list of crimes guys yes yeah i mean there's so many like some of the scams he was running like he had a mail order drug service that he was running where he would sell like basically snake oil stuff like you know, like medicine cures for alcoholism and such you know um and so uh, but yeah, basically, because it was the World's Fair, it's like you have all of these people coming to the city, and it was already a rapidly growing population even before then, because um, I believe in that the 1890 census, um, it came back that Chicago was the second largest city in America at the time. Yeah, people are coming is, for jobs, they're coming for the fair, they're mm-hmm. moving just to move. Yep. And so basically he would use that he kind of intended to use that to lure people in to stay with him and to basically fuel his his wacko desires unfortunately most of his victims were women 
That's yes. so sad, but I mean, that's not uncommon. Didn't, um, didn't he have a type? Yes, he, he, he very much had a type. Um, they ended up usually being blonde, <laughs> blonde hair. That's so sad for me. <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes is, was generally the description for the people that he, that ended up being his victims. Not everyone, but the, the ones that were like very you know, prominent. We know somebody else in history who had a thing for blonde hair, blue eyed people. Hmm. <laughs> and he was hitler if you guys didn't know. <laughs> yes if you didn't catch on to that he was described as being very charming and so he like these young women would come into the shop looking for jobs and things like that and he would be very charming and kind of lure them in um and he would like have them i don't know work at the counter at the pharmacy and things like that and he would give them rooms to stay and then he would you know murder them <laughs> um and that actually brings us to Murda Belknap, which is his second yes. wife. Um, not yes. a legitimate wife, but. And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. His second wife, like you said, is Murda Belknap. They got married in 1887. They met in Minneapolis, actually. Um, and like he would pr travel to Minneapolis pretending to be there on business, but really he was kind of going there to to charm her, you know, and to well, to get laid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so it, which I know that that boggles your mind because you like you look at the picture and you're just like, oh, but he was described as being very handsome. Um, I don't see it, but you know, All allegedly. <laughs> I think somebody also said, well, I know a lot of people think Ted Bundy's. Attractive, yeah but i don't yeah <laughs> yeah basically he would kind of like tell murda about all of these uh things about chicago and just try to make it sound like it was such a magical place so that she would be willing to come and move to chicago with him and so she eventually ended up doing that um they got married in 1887 um and she got a job working in the store i think it was the pharmacy but it wasn't until like after a little while like she started to notice the attention that he was giving to these other young women who would come in. At first it was fine. She didn't really think much of it. She was just like, oh, well, he's just a very good salesman, you know? And so then eventually it kind of progressed into some form of jealousy that annoyed Holmes. At one point he ended up moving her. I, I think it was into an office on the second floor to mm -hmm. be like, hey, I need you to like keep the books um, just to kind of keep her out of the way. Yeah, um, which it kind of boggles my mind. He didn't um, murder his wives or like the key women that he had women or women that he had children with. Um, yeah, especially Murda, Clara, because um, I mean, you can tell he's just the type of person. I don't think he knows, or I think he can imitate feelings, mm. but he does not have the ability to have actual feelings. Yeah, and that always fascinated me too, because it's like, well, in, in a similar way, like with Ted Bundy, where he had this long-term girlfriend and like he was never violent with her or her daughter. It's like, sometimes they have like one or two very significant relationships, but then other than that, like they, they can't form any sort of meaningful connections to people. Um, and they're very good at faking it for the most part. It's, it's just, it's an, 
I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like there was rumor that he was violent with Clara and that was part of the reason why they kind of like weren't like talking, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and it wouldn't surprise me, but I don't think there was any like confirmation um, of that. Yeah. Yeah. So he meets Marta, he gets married to her. And like, I think it was like two or two weeks or so after getting married to Marta, he files for divorce from Clara, but it never actually went through because he, I guess, let it, let the petition lapse. Um, but when he filed for divorce, it wasn't just like a simple, like, oh, I'm just like, what is it? Irreconcilable differences is, is yeah. the excuse a lot of people end up using these days. But he accused her of infidelity because that was like a big scandal back then. Mm. Basically, he was not only trying to like get her out of his life, he was trying to like harm her. I was about to say, he was trying to ruin her reputation. Like, yeah, she was not going to be able to find. I think his goal was to harm her in the sense of ruin her reputation and no other man will want to be her suitor yeah and so it, it's very much like a scorched earth like if i can't have you no one will that, which is kind of weird because you can have her you're the one that left bro yeah and and that's it's i've noticed that that's kind of the thing with um abusers of, of a certain type is that it's like they feel like they own this person and then like they nobody else is allowed to have ownership yeah. of them but it's like like you said he left so <laughs> that was that was all on him um but i think the problem with him is that he was greedy he just wanted everything and he didn't want to necessarily face the consequences of anything of uh, any of his actions Which or anything fortunately like that. for us is a part of his downfall as well Yes. So Murda got pregnant in the spring of 1888, um, and she was the one who gave birth to Lucy, who is the other child that we mentioned before. Um, and so he, um, it's weird because he initially was kind of there as a father, but then like it kind of started to it affected his plans so therefore yeah. he couldn't put too much of his energy and time into being a good father yeah and so um Murda ended up like she was kind of fed up with everything and so she ended up leaving to go and um live with her parents in Wilmette Illinois and so that was kind of around the same time that uh he started to kind of become more of the dutiful husband, but I think it was definitely more so to kind of trick her parents into seeing him as a good person so that they'd be more likely to like give him money and things like that than to actually like be good there. <laughs> yeah, yes. Because <laughs> Murda um, actually had like a, I think it was a great uncle who was pretty well off. And so Holmes kind of like started to focus his attention on the, on him, but the guy did not like him. <laughs> Which, you know, good on him. Yeah. And so it's like, he just could tell something was off about him. Um, and so like at, he kept trying to kind of win him over and I don't think he ever fully completely like won him over but it was enough to where uh the uncle's like well he makes my he makes Murda happy so I'm gonna tolerate him Holmes eventually ends up convincing him to write a check I think it was like two thousand dollars or something like that uh to uh 
he says it's going to go towards making a house or buying a house for him and Murda and Lucy to live in so that they can become a family again or whatever. But what he actually kind of does with it is he takes it and then he forges the signature from that check onto another check uh, for money to pay for the, um, the additional like hotel rooms that he was trying to add to the top of the castle, which I don't think ever actually finished completion. Yeah. If I remember reading. So yeah. forgery. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that is, yeah. And the, the, the uncle eventually found out obviously, cause it's like, how do you not find out something like that? You know, <laughs> but, like, Oh, there's a check here for $5,000. I do not remember <laughs> writing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like the world's fair was only a couple blocks away. So he's just like, Oh, there's going to be an influx of people. I need space yeah. you know, to, to do my, to do my murdery stuff. <laughs> so Holmes, like we said before, um, he primarily attracted his uh, victims during the world fair, which was being held in Chicago. Duh, that's where they're at. <laughs> um, but he would, like we said, he had a type blonde women not all of them are blonde but most of them um so part of his mo was frequently wooing women to lure them into the castle or Mm -hmm. hotel um through offers of work he would use them as he needed sexually i mean i don't know if he was a serial rapist or a rapist at all i'm sure Mm -hmm. he really didn't have to be if he was charming and a lot of them found him handsome um But he would sometimes impregnate them and then kill them and their unborn babies because he just didn't want to have to deal with it. He already didn't take care of the first two kids he had. So why would he (laughs) want to take care of any more? That's more child support for him, okay? Well, you assume he's actually paying child support, which I don't think he's... You guys thought up to this point, this man was paying child support. Y'all are wrong, okay? He he ain't paying nothing. He is Uh, the IRS. Is it the IRS that comes after you for not paying child support? um, I don't know. I have no children. (laughs) Tell me you have have no children without telling me you have no children. (laughs) I'm only 22 and I just got married and I just graduated and I'm hyper fixating on this um, podcast because I don't have anything else to do with my life. It's fine. It's fine. So okay. let's talk about Julia Smythe. Um, yes. She was the wife of Ned Connor, who is a man who worked at the pharmacy's jewelry counter. I'm going to let yes. Bree take it away because she knows a little bit more about old Julia Ned than I Yeah, Julia Ned or something. Um, so Ned and Julia kind of came into the store. They, I believe they came from Iowa. Ned was looking for a job. Um, yeah, and he so... was tired of farming potatoes. <laughs> um, so he was looking for a job um, and basically when they went in, Holmes like was willing to give him a job but he also offered to give Julia a job um, working at the pharmacy counter um and basically if he offers for you to work at the pharmacy counter that means he wants to murder you um but just so you guys know going forward pharmacy counter is not the job you want yeah so take take that take that note and just uh keep that in your back pocket in case in case some guy tries to woo you by giving you a job at a pharmacy counter if you did not go to school to be a pharmacist (laughs) do not take the job okay it's dangerous. Yes. Um, and so uh, Ned's younger sister, Gertrude, actually also came to work there. Um, I, I think she was working as like the manager for the, uh, what was it? The mail-in drug 
company that he was running or whatever. One of his many scams. Yes, Julia was actually one of Holmes's lovers. Dun, dun, dun. I'm so sorry if I just busted your eardrums, but dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, and so Ned, he suspected something was happening um, just because like the way, like he could kind of tell Holmes was giving Julia and Gertrude like more attention than he was giving to Ned, which I mean, yeah. <laughs> so... He, he kind of noticed something was off. He didn't necessarily want to like make accusations or anything, but eventually Julia's behavior towards him also kind of changed. And then there was an incident. Um, we don't necessarily know entirely what happened, but Gertrude like came running to Ned, like crying, sobbing, basically saying that she wanted to get out of there like immediately. Um, and she wouldn't tell Ned like what had happened, but I think like Holmes had come into the room at some point during this conversation and she just wouldn't make eye contact. So clearly Holmes did something. We just don't know what. I think, I don't know. I think they might've been, you know, let's get it on. Oh my God. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he had tried to woo her and maybe, maybe, well, because Julia was also a lover, maybe she found out that like he was also seeing Julia at the same time as Gertrude and that upset her or something along maybe, those lines. Maybe he just tried to harm her, kill her. Also possible. And so Ned didn't really push the subject much. He um, actually helped her, like he ordered a company to come pick up her stuff. She left to go back home to Iowa. Unfortunately, she died of natural causes um, when she, like a couple weeks after she returned home. That's so sad. Like she survives and then dies. Yeah. And so I think I read it was probably heart disease. Cause like before I saw that, I was thinking, oh, well, what if he like poisoned her, you know? And it just took a little bit longer to take effect. It was a very slow uh, poison. <laughs> um, anyway, so Julia, Holmes, they were lovers. Ned kind of suspected something was happening, but Holmes was like getting to be like kind of buddy buddy with him. And it was part of his whole manipulation tactic of trying to uh, steer Ned off the trail, so to speak. He, we see this with his wife, Clara, but I think he like, at least the ones he keeps alive to knock them down to where they have absolutely nothing. They're psychologically scarred. Um, he, you know, he wants to take what he can from the surviving victims. And I think Ned's a victim. I I mean, at least psychologically he is. Ned is absolutely a victim. Like he obviously didn't fall prey to like being murdered, but he had his wife taken from him. Also his daughter, technically. Oh, yeah. um, and yes, so they had an eight-year-old daughter, Pearl, who um, like when Julia and Ned split, um, because obviously there was just too much tension there um, and they like eventually ended up divorcing um he did not win custody of pearl and so pearl was living with julia and holmes there in chicago so not only did he like lose the job he also lost his wife lost his daughter um and his sister too like oh, yeah. that not to holmes but you know. yeah i mean it kind of and it all kind of happened relatively quickly yeah and so eventually he decides to divorce her um does ned find out that um holmes and her were having an affair so i believe he found out but i don't know specifically like how or when um we don't know the details <laughs> yeah i i 
believe he found out. Um, well, actually, I don't know, because if he did, then he would have filed that like in his divorce papers. So maybe he just like suspected it, but he didn't have any proof. Oh, so he did uh, like file for divorce. Yes. Holmes, I think he tried to use this as like a way to keep Ned kind of like placated Mm -hmm. um before he actually like ended up divorcing julia um but he offered to sell the like the pharmacy i think and just like the the shop to ned um Mm -hmm. he was planning to like increase his salary from 18 or from 12 dollars a week to 18 dollars a week so that he could kind of like pay the extra six or whatever to um keep the pharmacy yeah. it was essentially kind of like a, a rent to own type of situation yeah. ned did accept but he wasn't really thinking like what would the reason be for why he's trying to get rid of this thing um because it's like to ned um holmes is like this like super super good businessman he's successful he's charming, charming. and handsome yeah yeah it's like he's he's got the whole package from ned's perspective so he's just like why why would he get rid of this this thing that like he's got this empire so why is he giving this up well, I think like he's what not also kind of affects ned too is ned probably felt like he couldn't compete with holmes holmes yeah had already taken his wife and his daughter mm-hmm. gertrude his sister was very intrigued by holmes so i mean ned probably felt as though he was second best and that's mm-hmm. sad yeah and i could definitely see that and so it's like um as before they like officially divorced or anything like that like ned had kind of been confiding in holmes in a in a sense about the the troubles and holmes was quote being sympathetic but it's like i think he was mainly just kind of like manipulating ted instead of actually being sympathetic yes ned (laughs) my bad he was manipulating ned um instead of actually being sympathetic and so he yeah it's like he wanted to pretend to be his friend but he wasn't actually he was a manipulator <laughs> yeah so it's just kind of like his way to kind of bring down uh ned's guard um and so at, at one point like talking about those insurance scams earlier in the episode um he had tried to convince ned to buy a life insurance policy uh one for Julian, one for Pearl, um, just in case anything happened, like if he happened to die, you know, <laughs> yeah, just happen. Just so it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to leave them destitute or something like that. Um, and so he kept trying to like, he, like he had an, ins- uh, a life insurance policy guy come. He was trying to convince Ned very, 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 like he was pushing it very hard, but Ned did not want it he was like no and so uh, yeah he, he was just like no i i don't want this uh stop trying to push it on me um but i i do think that he had planned to do something to ned to kind of get him out of the way but it obviously wasn't gonna go yeah, anywhere ended up working out in holmes's favor because ned dipped yeah so he he dipped um one thing though is when he sold him the pharmacy um all of the debts that were associated with the pharmacy got transferred over to Ned. Oh my God, a triple whammy. Sister dies, well, not dies, but she moves back (laughs) to Iowa, takes his girl, takes his daughter. Now he's getting the debts. Jesus. Yes, and so he, I don't think he sold it back. It just said he had like abandoned his interest in the store. So I'm assuming that means he just kind of like up and left like Holmes usually does. Yeah, kind of like he did with the first (laughs) pharmacy at least. Yeah, and so once Ned divorced her um julia suddenly was no longer interesting to holmes because i think it was a game for him just kind of seeing how he could like pull her away from her husband yes essentially 
of course, um, that was kind of where things got more complicated because Holmes was losing interest. Um, but in the process of like manipulating her and like wooing her, whatever he had kind of promised to marry her. Um, and so now that, now that she was divorced, she was kind of like pushing that a little bit more, but also she ended up getting pregnant. Because she was pregnant, she was kind of pushing it harder because being pregnant at a wedlock, you know, that was, was looked not down acceptable upon. at any point <laughs> in the 1800s. Yes, exactly. And so um, Holmes was like, okay, I will marry you, but you have to get an abortion because a child's out of the question. Because he was just like, there's too much left uh, to do on work wise on the building. Can't afford it. We can get married and we can have kids later, but it's just not like in the cards right now. Um, so he was. It's just like, well, I, like, because he's a physician, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll do it. And it's like, I've done it before. Um, I'll do it for you. You won't feel anything, et cetera, et cetera. So they gra- scheduled- he was like, I graduated with a medical degree, baby. Yeah. And so he was like, I'll do it for you. It, it won't be that, that it won't be painful, I'll basically. I'll put you to sleep, home girl, and you yes. won't feel a thing. Because you'll be dead. Um, so, <laughs> um, so they scheduled the operation for Christmas Eve um, because it just had to be dramatic. I was going to say, that is dramatic <laughs> shit right there. That's some <laughs> shit you see in the movie. Yeah. And so there were, there were other people obviously who were living in this building, um, because he needs to make money somehow and he can't murder all of his customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so apparently, uh, Julia was friends with um, this lady. I think it was Mrs. Crow. Um, And so she had had some ideas, uh, like surprise things for Pearl for Christmas the next day. Um, And so she had hid them in Mrs. Crow's room. Like, I think they decorated a tree and everything, and they were just going to do something really fun. wholesome. Yeah. And so that was the plan. Um, But then the next day, Julia didn't show up. Um, and so that kind of sent up a red flag for Mrs. Crow. Like she couldn't really get any information out of him. Like she kept asking questions like what happened, you know? And he, I, th- I think he just kept being like, oh, she moved back home or something like that. Yeah. But didn't he like kill her? Yeah. So he like, quote unquote, did the operation or was going to do the operation. Um, and he used chloroform to, um, basically knock her out um but he used so much of it that it killed her and like i think that obviously that was his intention to Mm -hmm. begin with like he wasn't planning on marrying this woman he did not want to marry her he just wanted to get rid of her and so he killed her he had the guy come and articulate her bones and then he uh sold it basically to a medical school i don't think they mention anywhere specifically what happened to pearl some people believe that he might have poisoned her (laughs) Um, because she also disappeared um, and that some of the bones that detectives later found like in the basement might have belonged to her. Um, but there's there's no like definitive information that I saw about Pearl. Wow. Yeah, so fun stuff. His next notable victim was Emmeline Sagrand. Um, she started working in the building in May of 1892 and then she disappeared in December. So she was only there for a couple of months. Emmeline came to his attention because um, one of his accomplices, Benjamin Pitzel, which is how it's pronounced, not Patezel, apparently, <laughs> even though it's spelled Patezel, um, 
he went to uh, the Keeley Institute to, it was kind of like a rehab center or something. So like but they were like, yeah, they were like toting this like cure for alcoholism. Oh, Holmes had paid for it. So some people think that he um, was either trying to get him to figure out what this medication was so he could sell it for his mail order company or whatever. And he did actually end up, I think, like establish, establishing some kind of like business similar to it um, <laughs> later on down the line. But um, the other thing is that Benjamin was actually like a chronic alcoholic from all the things that I've seen about this guy. Some people think that maybe he just paid for it because Benjamin was like, he was a valuable resource as long as he wasn't drinking. Um, and so it's like, there's a little bit of debate on whether or not he like did it because he genuinely wanted his help yeah. or because he was looking for another mon money opportunity. Anyway, Emmeline worked at the Keeley Institute. And so uh, when Benjamin came back, he was basically kind of like talking about this like ethereal beauty of a woman who worked there. Um, That's so, so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was blonde, 24 years old, and she was working as a stenographer at Dr. Keeley's office. What is a stenographer? A stenographer? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Um, it's essentially kind of like a secretary. Um, oh my god, girl! Me too! I'm not even a secretary. I don't even... I don't know why I keep saying I am. I'm not. <laughs> So it's it's um, somebody who will write um, notes down like in shorthand or take dictation. Oh, look at you go, Emmeline. You go, girl. And so she was working as a stenographer there. And obviously, uh, Benjamin's description of this beautiful blonde woman uh in, it intrigued Holmes, so he reached out to Emmeline and offered her a job as his personal secretary at twice the salary she was making there. Oh so, like, he went all out to try and win her over, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, basically, he ended up convincing her to move to Chicago to be his personal secretary. Emmeline obviously kind of fell in line like with all the others where she was charmed by him. She was like a super infatuated with this guy. Yeah. Um, and apparently he, he lied to her by saying that he was the son of an English Lord. Oh, okay. Um, just, <laughs> Hey girl. Hey, Emmeline. Yeah. I am just a casual Lord. <laughs> well, it's, it's probably going along with the, the whole, like, um, uh, his last name's Holmes thing, you know? Oh, that's fair. Um, okay. Yeah. And so probably trying to go along that thing. He told her in confidence and like swore her to secrecy, but obviously she's a woman. She's going to tell her friends. Cause like, that's what we do. We, well, I feel, I feel like pretty much everybody tells their friends it's like i have secrets but not from my best friend you know yeah i chris knows everything i tell him <laughs> all the things yeah. yeah and so basically she told her friends and that's kind of like how we knew that that's something he had told her her parents came to visit her actually there and so she kind of like introduced Holmes to them and all that kind of stuff and showed them around chicago and like they were kind of like very hesitant about homes and as they should and all be. that yeah yeah it, it seems like all the parents and like the the older people are just like hmm but then like you oh. dude yeah basically um but soon after the family visited holmes asked emmeline to marry him because that's his mo mm -hmm. he he does that kind of thing um he promised her a honeymoon in europe where he would uh have her visit his father the lord 
<laughs> okay. This was, I think she disappeared not around the same time, like not around Christmas Eve, but like close enough to Christmas. Yeah, that like it was, within the same month that yeah. um, Julia. Did. Yeah. So like she was friends with a woman in the building. Um, oh my and God, so was it she, the same woman? No, huh. it was uh, someone named Mrs. Lawrence. Um, and so she was talking about how she'd be spending uh, Indi- like Christmas in Indiana with her family. Um, so Mrs. Lawrence actually kind of suspected that Emmeline was kind of like falling out of love with Holmes. Oh. Yeah, so that was kind of like a little bit of a plot twist. Ooh, I bet um, Holmes did not like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, he's just like, how dare you, you know? Like, do you know who I am? I'm Herman Webster Mudgit. Mudgit. <laughs> you don't know me as that, though. Um, yeah, and so basically, she kind of suspected that because um, the way that she was talking about how she was going to be spending Christmas in Indiana with her family was kind of like, it, she said it had like a sense of finality almost. Like she wasn't going to um, come back. Yes. Dr. Lawrence said, in light of what has happened since, I believe now that she had found out a certain extent, the real character of Holmes and determined to leave him, you know? Oh. Um, and so there was some speculation that Emmeline had trusted like her $800 savings to Holmes only for him to kind of, you know, make promises like, Oh, you're going to experience like some great return. And then obviously that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Basically she never actually said goodbye to the Lawrences, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of like another red flag, you know, and this is kind of where Holmes like trips up. This is kind of leading towards like when he started getting a little too messy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mrs. Lawrence was like asking questions of Holmes and trying to figure out like what happened to Emmeline because the fact that she didn't say goodbye was very out of character for her. Yeah. Um, and Holmes lied and said, oh, she's gone away to get married um, and made up some guy. I think it was uh, Robert Phelps made up the name of some random guy. But that was actually an alias that Benjamin Pitzel had used um, at some point. Regardless, this dude was fictional, um, but he had forged... I don't think it was letters, but like just like information cards of sorts, just like her announcing that she's getting married to this guy in Europe or something like that and sent them to like her friends and family. And and so like that kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier in the episode. And like he kind of went over the top and trying to convince people that she had gone and married this guy who doesn't exist. So it was kind of over the top to the point where is it believable? Do we believe mm-hmm. this? Mrs. Lawrence um, also mentioned something later because um, like she, she's consistently asking and eventually like he just kind of is his answers just get very like short with her. Yeah. Um, but she recalls um, like the day after Emmeline disappeared, seeing like um, I think it was Holmes and then one of his other accomplices, Patrick Quinlan, carrying this like large trunk out of his office Mm -hmm. and so there is some speculation that that's the way that he had gotten emmeline's body out of the out of the castle and sent it to be articulated um but there's no guarantee so what happened to emmeline so we don't know entirely what happened he had some of these doors that he had throughout the building and whatnot they just kind of led to dead ends. And so one of them was a vault that he had, um, I guess, where he kept money kind of like close to his office. So what he did actually was that he um, 
I guess he asked her like to go in there and get something and then he locked her in there. Oh, okay. Uh, and and so I don't know how many other people he did this to, but he left her in there for days so she like died from starvation uh-huh. essentially. That's yeah. awful. Yeah. I mean, and so the other ways he's killing all these women and other people is awful, but to die of starvation is a slow and I imagine painful death. Yeah, and it's like you know that there's no other way out of this besides death yeah, because I imagine yeah. it takes oh, days well because I think it's like you can go a certain number of days without water uh, and then a certain number of days without food but it's it's not very long like I think at most it's like two weeks I think for one that's probably more water than it yeah. is food so I think it, yeah she was in there for a couple of days yeah she that was how she died um and so it like I don't know that just thinking of her being trapped in there and just knowing that she's gonna die she can't do anything about it like that's heartbreaking yeah and it kind of goes back with um kind of how he did clara i mean he didn't starve her to death but he wanted to ruin her reputation mm-hmm. that i don't think it's i don't know that seems kind of not personal per se but very revenge like yeah because because like julia she was killed by too much chloroform Mm -hmm. which is essentially kind of painless but to be starved Mm -hmm. to death has to be you know i imagine very painful so i feel like emmeline's death was very more centered towards revenge yeah other than like I just need to get rid of you because I'm bored. Um, mm-hmm. Emmeline started to fall out of love with him. So yeah. instead of, you know, killing her quickly, he wanted to drag it out. And that kind of shows you how sadistic he is. Yeah, definitely. Like he, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine wanting to harm somebody that much that you would gladly let them starve to death like yeah. knowing that you have that power over them i be- imagine that was just like such a power trip for him when i imagine uh, how i can't imagine how terrified she was being trapped in a vault yeah no absolutely food, no water i'm sure there's no windows yeah yeah so that that like it ugh. but i'm assuming because she was starting to fall out of love with him probably an argument ensued or something like that where he was it was this kind of like trying to destroy Clara where it's just like well if I can't have you no one can you know mm-hmm. but Emmeline was loved by a lot of people like she was just one of those people who was constantly in communication with people and so it tipped a lot of people off when she stopped writing letters because like she would communicate with her parents multiple times a week and things yeah. like that and so the fact that she never mentioned this guy that she ran off to get married with to anybody let alone like her family like yeah, and i mean she supposedly <laughs> had moved countries for the dude mm-hmm. and so they thought something had happened to her they just didn't know necessarily what they thought maybe she had died in europe and her husband didn't know like how to get in contact with them or something like that because they had gotten a trunk of emmeline's stuff sent to them Aww. um they they knew that like something had happened but they weren't sure what because she hadn't like communicated in a very long time so this book the book that i was reading said that uh lasalle medical college of chicago got a nicely articulated skeleton so that's the assumption is that he sold her uh skeleton to them 
I guess in the long run, Emmeline kind of won out at the end of the day. Like she didn't make it out of there, but she is the reason I think why people started to kind of hone in more on Holmes and his sketchy stuff. He basically had like creditors kind of swooping in. He had friends and family of Emmeline and some of the other women who had disappeared coming in asking questions and it was starting to become overwhelming. Um, And so slowly... But surely, I think Emmeline was kind of like... The push that they needed. Yep, Emmeline was like the peak. And then the the ball started to roll down the other side of the hill. And so that's where we're going to leave off with this first episode. Oh, snap. Things and, just uh, got juicy. Yes, because uh, Benjamin Pitzel, no, Benjamin Pitzel, he uh, plays a very important role in this next portion as well. We're going to talk um, about Holmes's last two wives Mm, yes yes um so we've got another wife to look forward to um we have this accomplice that we have uh more details and uh, the additional part of his downfall basically every step from here he makes a mistake and that ends up in him getting caught and we don't want to tell you guys all at once because we want you guys to come back and visit us every week (laughs) yes so stay tuned uh we'll have this next episode out next week and hopefully you will tune in to listen yeah thank you for joining us uh we know it was a long episode but you guys said more details the better so So here you go we're trying to give you all the details we don't want you guys to feel unfulfilled yes so we're trying to give you all the true crime that you can stomach yes but we are always looking for case suggestions so if you want to dm us on our instagram shockingly wicked podcast or shoot us a gmail shockingly wicked podcast at gmail.com um we check those daily if you do shoot us a dm we will try to respond um I don't, I mean, we'll definitely see it. I don't know if it depends on what you say. Yeah. <laughs> if, it's, if it's mean, um, don't tell me because I'll cry. Yeah, don't. So, don't. I'm a very sensitive flower. Yeah, don't do that because if you make Brit cry, I'll make you cry. So, yeah. Um, breathe my mouth. So, mm. <laughs> so, you can find us on social media at Instagram, like she said, Shockingly Wicked Podcast. Um, we have Twitter, which is. It's Wicked Podcast One, I yes, think. Yes, Wicked Podcast one um we're more active on instagram because i don't i don't do twitter i'm sorry i can't do it i don't do twitter either but i know a lot of you guys do twitter so if you follow me and brie on twitter we don't have personal twitter pages um but we do have the podcast twitter so go follow us we want to interact with you guys we want to meet you guys absolutely um please leave us a good review if you enjoyed our episode today on itunes i don't know if you can leave a review on spotify but if you can leave us a good review because the more good reviews will make us want to come back yes i mean we're gonna come back regardless <laughs> but yes um i don't want to come back if you're yelling at me so yeah um so if you have nothing nice to say don't say anything at all because that's that's what our moms taught us assuming that yeah. uh, assuming that moms were active in our lives but that's a whole other thing yeah we might do so sorry we might do like a future episode on the psychology of traumatizing events i don't freaking know i mean might as well considering how prevalent it is in most of these stories but yeah um also we want feedback so if you have like 
like she said, if you have case suggestions, if you want us to do something in particular, you can reach out to us through email at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com or, or shoot us a DM on Instagram. Everything. Um, yeah, we want all the constructive criticism, all the, the great comments all the five star reviews i'll even take a four star review yes as uh, long as three star is pushing it <laughs> yeah three star you might you might get a, a like a teary glassy eyed uh response <laughs> if you leave anything lower than three stars don't even log in next week because it would just be me going <gasps> <laughs> all right well we're gonna head on out so thank you for tuning in guys we'll see you next time